direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis. You're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. This show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Make sure you check out their content and their products on their websites. And if you're interested in the USCCA, you can go to uscca.co slash rapid fire for a very special deal. And I'm happy that you're here with me each and every week. So make sure you like and subscribe to be notified whenever we go live. We have um, frequent updates along the way throughout the week. We do the Grace Curley show live each and every week um, on Tuesdays, 2A Tuesday from 2 to 2.45, and we take phone calls. And um, if you want to be on this show uh, today, I actually haven't livened up the phones, but uh, uh, you can do that by calling 508-444-2120. And uh, I'll get that going. I always forget something, but that's the way it goes. Um, But yeah, you'll be able to give us a call and uh, talk if you want to be on the show. would love to talk with you. Um, or you can just chime in on the chat. We will definitely uh, uh, take your questions today. We have lots to talk about. Oh my gosh, gun world is crazy right now in a lot of different ways. Uh, there's reports of an active shooter out in Las Vegas at Las Vegas University. Um, and that's terrible. Uh, 
hate to see that. And of course, it coincides on the day that um, that they're going to be taking up an assault weapons ban on the Senate floor. They're, they were trying to get unanimous consent um, for the an assault weapons ban, as well as federal storage laws. And uh, what else was there? There was um, something else. There were three different things. Assault weapons ban, um, that federal storage laws, and geez, I can't remember the third thing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it all failed anyway. Um, they failed to get unanimous consent. Um, I I see that uh, Senator Schumer and Chris Murphy, um, their plot failed. And uh, I guess Senator John Barrasso stood up and said, Americans have a constitutional right to own a firearm. Every day, people across Wyoming responsibly use their Second Amendment. Second. Second Amendment rights to keep and bear arms, he said. Democrats are demanding that the American people give up their liberty. The Second Amendment is freedom's essential safeguard. Without it, there can be no liberty and can be no security. So, Mr. President, I object. So he failed to get, uh, they failed to get unanimous consent, um, which is good. Uh, that was absolutely ridiculous. Um, we might play that cut a little bit later uh, from Senator John Barrasso, who stood up for it. Um, it's amazing to me that even after so many Supreme Court rulings and pending Supreme Court rulings, that the federal government is on a absolute blitz to try to get something across the finish line. Even Gavin Newsom saw the writing on the wall and said, you know what? In a post-Bruin world, no, no amount of litigation is going to A, withstand, uh, legislation, excuse me, is going to A, stand the test of time and B, be able to pass strict scrutiny tests. So therefore, all gun control, current and proposed, days are numbered. They are on the way out. And so because of that, he proposed the 28th Amendment. He said, look, there's nothing we can do here. It's over. Game over. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the point is we've lost when it comes to, uh, when we've when it comes to gun control. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, they, the left and the gun ban crowd has completely lost. It is over, and it's going to take some time, unfortunately, to, to come to fruition because the, the um, courts haven't gone through them all yet. But that's a good thing, right? So uh, once... They're finally through the courts. It'll be done once and for all as it should be. And, you know, 
what I think most politicians are finding surprising is the fact that they've got away with restricting enumerated rights for so long that it became, they took it for granted and it became a expectation. They had lower courts, um, upholding their, 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 their legislation in a post Heller world, but in a post Bruin world, I don't know exactly the statistics, but if you look at the 15 years since Heller, uh, since 2008 to 2023, there was numerous challenges to gun control in a post Heller world, pre Bruin post Heller world where um, lots of unconstitutional gun laws were challenged and a lot of them were upheld in the lower courts. And the, I think, uh, I'm just throwing out a number here cause I can't remember the actual number. So don't hold me to it, but maybe someone can fact check this, but let's say there was 150 lawsuits in a post Heller world in the last 15 years. That wouldn't be a lot. That would be 10 per year. Um, I think there was like five pro gun victories. The rest were all upholding the status quo or, or the unconstitutional laws in a post Bruin world. We've only got a year's worth of lawsuits. Let's say there was 20 or 30. They've had like three quarters of those have been favorable to the second amendment in a gun rights uh, so the big difference between post Heller and post Bruin is Br Bruin decision. Clarence Thomas clarified that the S second amendment is not a second class, right? And it must be held to the same strict scrutiny as all other rights, which makes sense, right? It, if it's a enumerated, right, then it shouldn't be able to be voted on willy nilly by whatever legislature is in office at the given moment. They shouldn't be able to restrict, impede, infringe, alien, um, any of your rights, uh, based on the whim of the legislature at the time, state or federal. And for a long time, they got away with it because of tiers of scrutiny or two step, scrutiny or, um, you know, the whole intermediate scrutiny where they would say it's in the nation's best interest or it's in the best interest of the state or our communities and the people want this. So therefore, we're going to go ahead and allow some sort of infringement on whatever right. But now that standard could never be applied to any other right. And I was talking to a uh, friend last night whose wife was listening in and we were talking about this very thing and how um, the U.S. Code uh, 18, U.S. Code uh, Section 242, the deprivation of law, uh, of rights under the color of law. We've read about that many times on this show and talked about it in other areas, how the, that if any official in their official capacity can be shown to have to deprive anyone anywhere 
of their constitutionally protected rights, then they can be fined or imprisoned or both and up to and including the death penalty if loss of life uh, results. So uh, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make here is, uh, oh, and she, she very astutely said, oh, wow. So just as a, for instance, if somebody denied somebody their right to vote or, you know, uh, uh, illegally prohibited them from the free exercise of a constitutional right, then they could be held liable. And I said, absolutely. And uh, the the point uh, the point is that is how the Second Amendment has been treated for decades in this country, and the all other enumerated rights have been. Uh, have been totally treated with strict scrutiny. So you you would see the court systems from time to time decide whether or not this needs strict scrutiny or intermediate scrutiny uh, is enough to suffice. And the the bottom line is any enumerated right, anything you know in the twenty seven amendments to the Constitution or anything listed in the articles of the Constitution themselves, should be looked at through strict scrutiny. It should never, ever, ever be viewed through the lens of interest balancing or through, um, you know, the tiers of scrutiny, right? Like we, could, we should never be able to say, well, you know, it's in our com community's interest. And this is exactly what happened with the censoring by the federal government that outsourced the job to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, Etc. Um, in the last two or three years, whether it was an election or a health crisis or whatever you want to call it, um, they would censor people on their platforms, which was really the federal government censoring them. But these platforms complied and were complicit in it all to get people to arrive at a certain conclusion or outcome. And you couldn't overtly do that throughout the federal government. So they covertly did it through complicit big tech platforms. And the the bottom line is, uh, if the federal government came out and said, it's in our nation's best interest that we censor all speech through our filter or through the Ministry of Truth or through the, what was the, the uh, agency that they created um, a year or so ago, uh, I called it the Ministry of Truth, but it was like the Department of Misinformation or something like that. It was, it's right out of 1984. But the bottom line is they were trying to scrutinize free speech and say, oh, we're going to put a warning label on this or put some sort of misinformation label on that. And they had that Nina Jankowitz uh, was appointed leader of the Ministry of Truth. And she was like this person right out of uh, Hunger Games, you know, may the odds ever be in your favor. She was just painful to listen to and watch, but she actually did this whole little jingle, uh, this limerick about the Ministry of Truth, her Department of Misinformation, like that we're watching you and, you know, all this crazy stuff. It was so 1984, so dystopic. It, it was crazy. 
Um, but anyway, the government, you know, outsourced it. That's what they're good at doing is outsourcing whenever they are up against a constitutional limitation, they just outsource it. And that's what they've done in a lot of ways um, with the Second Amendment. But picture any other right, your right to uh, free speech, your right to go to church, your right to worship whatever you want, your, your right to peacefully assemble, your right to uh, have a redress against your government, your right to a speedy trial, your right to um, not incriminate yourself, your right to a protection against illegal searches and seizures. All of those rights. Picture Congress saying, well, it's in our nation's best interest. If the police, they could do their job more efficiently if they didn't have to worry about due process, they didn't have to worry about illegal searches and seizures. Like we suspect on probable cause, let's use probable cause as the threshold now instead of a warrant and say, uh, we think that, I think that guy had marijuana or had drugs or had guns or, or is a methamphetamine dealer, or I think he's cooking meth in his house. So we're just going to go up, knock on the door, push our way in and turn the place over until we find what we're looking for. And if we don't, sorry, wrong house. Um, if the Congress said, we're going to do that, we're going to make it, it'll be much more efficient if our police can just go in whenever they suspect someone of committing a crime and they can toss the house and search through the sock drawers, search through their safe, search through their uh, their ra attic rafters or their floorboards or whatever. They can cut open the walls and look through the drywall. They can do all that on the suspicion that they're committing a crime. So we're going to pass a law that says on the, on the suspicion of a crime being committed, police can gain entry to the house and search it. If they passed that, they would be committing a deprivation of rights under the color of law. And the agency, the executive body or executive branch that carries out the enforcement of that would absolutely lose their, their qualified immunity. So that's the standard now for the Second Amendment tests. That's why we've had so many wins in a post-Bruin era even though we have the same language and Bruin basically just affirms Heller as good law, but it didn't give the approach or the, the test or the um, analysis instructions to the lower courts. So that's, that's really the big difference between Bruin and Heller. All right. Bunch of articles today on um, on Second Amendment news. One is that Polymer 80's injunction was stayed for Supreme Court. So the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has stayed Polymer 80's injunction issued against the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Frames and Receivers Rule in Polymer 80 
v. Garland until the Supreme Court of the United States can decide whether to grant writ of certiorari in Vanderstock v. Garland. We'll talk about this on the other side. Um, it's very interesting. So I'm looking forward to digging into that and uh, getting with you guys on that. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back after this. Vortex offers the very best option. And welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. And I appreciate everyone who listens to this show week in, week out. And I would appreciate it if you guys would like, subscribe, share, and spread the word far and wide. Uh, because we need to get the word out about this show. Uh, speaking about getting the word out, uh, the Gundy Awards are live. Um, so make sure you guys head over to the Gundy Awards and vote early and often for your favorite uh, YouTuber, top voice out there, uh, top Second Amendment voice. Um, the uh, We also have, we have top voices of the 2A. We have, here's some of the categories. Most influential male of the year, um, most dapper influencer. There's all kinds of crazy uh, categories, but um, you'll see all the usual suspects on there um, from uh, Hickok 45, the Four Boxes Diner, of course, Brandon Herrera, um, Sean Ryan. Uh, there's Mike Glover and, you know, everybody who... Everybody who's anybody is there. Um, of course, Jared, Giannis, and uh, Anthony Miranda. Um, the top voices of the 2A. Um, there's Coleon Wire, April Nickel. Um, again, four boxes, diners in like three or four different categories, as he should be. Um, the Penn Patriot, John Petrolino, John Crump. All friends of the show, uh, Brandon Herrera, Iraq Vet, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Um, there's all kinds of good, good people out there. So, um, go ahead and vote on your favorite um, early and often. I think you can put in a um, a vote each and every day for a while. So um, that's pretty cool. And hopefully, maybe someday. Uh, we'll grow this show to where we can even get considered, but uh, we got a long way to go before that happens. For now, I'm just happy to be uh, able to vote for these guys. So um, the influencer of the year is a good one too. Uh, I like, um, there's so many hard choices, but I like uh, Arm Scholar, again, Jared from Guns and Gadgets, uh, the Gun Collective is always a, a good one. Um, Jerry Michalik is a stud who's uh, who's just, you know, absolutely great. I'm sure he'll be, um, you know, the best shooter. He'll be out there for that. So there's Lena Michalik, um, Jerry, Zach Smith, uh, plus 
tons of other people. Julie Gola, uh, Pew View guys on there. He's great. I love his stuff. And it's so unique um, that I would I would be shocked if anyone can hold a candle to his stuff. It's very um, unique, you know, and, and enjoyable content. I don't know if you've, uh, he's, he's nominated for best shooter and most entertaining content creator. So, uh, really cool stuff. So anyway, uh, that's just a little sidebar, but let's get back to the story about Paula Moretti. Um, there's an article on ammo land by John Crump, who's also up for the Gundies in a few different categories. Paula Moretti sued the ATF in a Texas federal court over the ATF rule against what the Biden administration calls ghost guns. And the ATF refers to as privately manufactured firearms, PMFs. The company is the country's biggest seller of unserialized 80% frames and accounts for the vast majority of the market. After the injunction was issued, it returned to selling complete kits, including the frame, jigs, and drill bits. The Fifth Circuit's stay uh, on the injunction was expected after SCOTUS stepped in and stayed injunction for other companies such as 80% Arms and Defense Distributed in Vanderstock v. Garland. The stay allowed the ATF to enact the frames rule. The stay will last until a writ of cert is denied or SCOTUS issues a judgment. It is ordered that appellant... Uh, Appellant's opposed motion to stay the injunction pending appeal is granted. In accordance with the stay granted by the Supreme Court in Garlic v. Vanderstock, if uh, Garland v. Vanderstock, if a petition for writ of certiorari is not timely sought in Vanderstock, the stay shall terminate automatically as of the day on which the petition was due. And if a petition for a writ of cert is timely sought in Vanderstock, this stay shall remain in effect until either A, the date on which the Supreme Court denies, or at which time the Supreme Court stay will terminate automatically, or B, if the Supreme Court grants certiorari, the date on which the Supreme Court issues its judgment, the order reads. This is confusing. In the Vanderstock case, Justice Amy Coney Barrett and Chief Justice John Roberts joined the progressive members of the Supreme Court in issuing the stay until the government files a writ of certiorari with the court. The other Republican-appointed judges would have let the injunction stand until the final decision. This was very disappointing, by the way. If the Fifth Circuit didn't issue a stay, the ATF would most likely have returned to SCOTUS and asked for an emergency stay. Due to the SCOTUS ruling in Vanderstock, there is a high probability that SCOTUS would have stayed the injunction. Stay does not mean Paula Moretti is less likely to succeed on the merits of the case. On the contrary, the company getting an injunction could mean that the courts believe that Paula Moretti will likely succeed. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is the country's most Second Amendment-friendly uh, federal court. The court has ruled against the government in disarming Americans, United States versus Rahimi, the bump stock ban, Cargill v. Garland, and the pistol stabilizing brace rule, Mock v. Garland. Many of these cases are similar traits, such as violating the Administrative Procedures Act, the bump stock case, Cargill v. Garland, and has been granted cert by SCOTUS. Oral arguments in front of SCOTUS were heard in the United States v. Rahimi, Although a stay isn't what gun owners want, 
the government is still facing an uphill battle to defend its rules. Uh, there is a copy of the ruling on uh, this article at at uh, amoland.com. Now, so what does this mean? It means that the frame and receiver rule is back in effect pending writ of cert by the Supreme Court, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Chris, thank you. Um, uh, so that is disappointing, but also it's the thing, the reason it's most disappointing for me is number one, it's financially hurting companies like Polymer 80, P80, um, et cetera, et cetera. And if they're not allowed to, I mean, they might not even get there. Like if they can't stay in business, you know, they're in trouble, right? So um, they might not be around to see a victory by the Supreme Court. Uh, and then the the other reason it's disappointing is there's serious implications to people who manufacture guns by the status quo prior to the rule change that don't know about the rule change and what that could ultimately mean for something for somebody so if the federal government prosecutes them under this frame and receiver rule uh and yet the supreme court might make it right anyway eventually um, it's just going to cause them an undue burden in the meantime. Uh, so I would just tread lightly and tread carefully on when it comes to uh, the frame and receiver rule, because otherwise it could it could end up coming back to bite in the you know what and uh, all for a temporary being able to build something. I would just say forgo any freedom activities uh, unless you're complying with the frame and receiver rule until, uh, you know, the Supreme Court weighs in. So anyway, all right, don't go away. We'll be right back. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. Welcome back. Toby Leary here for Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And I am going to attempt to share my screen. Speaking of federal ammunition, um, I'm going to attempt to share my screen. I'm, I'm kind of new at this. <laughs> so I want you guys to see uh, the, let's see here. Uh, yeah. There it is. All right. So we're going to 
we're going to check this out here. And uh, this is a letter I got yesterday, although it's dated December 1st, from Brett Nelson, VP of Sales, Sporting Products, uh, Vista Outdoors. Dear customer, thank you for your business and for your continued support of American jobs and manufacturing. Due to world events, our suppliers have notified us of an unprecedented demand for and an anticipated global shortage of gunpowder and thus has increased our prices substantially. We must therefore raise our pricing to help offset those increases. Effective January 1st, 2024, Alliant Powder, CCI, Federal, Heavy Shot, Remington, and Spear will take the following increases. Shot shell prices will increase from 1% to 7%. Rifle from 1% to 7%. Handgun, 1% to 5%. 22LR or shorts, 1% to 5%. 22Magnum or HMR, so 17 or 22HMR, 1% to 7%. And primers, 5%. Alliant powder, 10% with limited availability. Unless you notify us to cancel an order, we will reprice all existing and future orders shipped on or after January 1st, 2024 to the new prices. New price lists will follow in the coming weeks. Thank you for your continued support of our brands, of our American and our American workforce. Brett Nelson, VP of Sales, Sporting Products. So there you have that, folks. Um, that is not cool. Um, it's the way, you know, it, it's, we saw the industry fighting and kicking hard against the last two or three years of price increases. Um, and we've seen a steady drop in prices coming down. They never returned to pre-COVID numbers, but they were starting to toy with it like i was starting to see multiple manufacturers have multiple amounts if you will pallet amounts pallet quantities of the most popular handgun ammunition and some of the most popular rifle ammunition and shot shell ammo uh, start to come through and that was good <clears throat> it was it was a, a trend, let's call it, heading down. And interestingly enough, this is the company that just sold to the Czech company. So I have no idea what's going to happen with the brand itself anyway. Um, so we're going to see what the future holds. Obviously, January 1st, we have a price increase. That's already been, as I just read, that's a done deal. Now, will there be a scarcity of ammo as well? Um, I suspect there will be from now till then because people aren't going to want to pay the more, uh, you know, the higher prices. Um, a lot of people also don't know uh, how high it's going to go or, um, you know, some people are like, don't even know about it. So they're not going to, they're going to be asleep at the wheel. And then when the price increase happens, they're just going to pay. Um, but the people who are paying attention, um, 
I guess I'll ask you, are you more apt to stock up on some ammo to save a buck now? Or are you just kind of a buy it, use it, replenish it type of shooter where you don't really stockpile in ammo. Um, you just basically, you know, buy it as you need it. Um, I have other people that come in the shop all the time and say like, Hey, um, I don't like to take from the wood pile, so to speak. They don't like to, uh, you know, if they shoot a couple hundred rounds of their inventory at home that they do stockpile, they want to replace it. So um, they they maintain a certain amount on hand at all times. And then, you know, they'll obviously just buy it when they go to the range or whatever. Uh, or if they don't have time to stop by on their way to the range, they'll take from their inventory, but they want to replace it as soon as possible. Um, and what do you think is a good amount of ammo to have at home and on hand? I should have made this a poll question. Um, maybe I will. Maybe I can whip this up on the next break. But um, what what's a good amount of um, ammo to have, you know, on hand? Uh, I I try to have a couple thousand rounds of any one caliber, but all the different calibers I have, I certainly don't have two thousand rounds of all of them. I probably have a couple thousand rounds of nine you know, a couple thousand rounds of five, five, six, and a couple thousand rounds of 300 blackout, blackout. Uh, the, so what is the proper amount, uh, according to you, how do you feel? What, you know, some people even like have this type of philosophy as far as their bank account is concerned. Like if their bank account falls below a certain dollar amount, they get nervous and they're like, I don't get alarmed until it falls below this. Uh, but we're talking about precious metals here. Forget dollars, something as paltry as the dollar bill, right? Forget about that. Uh, it's it's more the the semi-precious metals. Uh, what What is the proper amount of ammo to have on hand? Uh, I'm going to say... I'm typing this as I speak so that that's why it's all. Um, let's see. I'm going to say 500. Well, let's say 100 to 300. Then we'll say 300 to 500. Um, 500 to 1,000. And then a thousand plus. That might be low. How about we do uh, 100 to 500, 500 to a thousand, a thousand to 2,500 or 2,500 and over. Uh, yeah. And I think most of the people in this audience will be like 2,500 plus, but I don't know. Um, there it is. It's live. All right. I just posted it to Twitter.com, uh, Twitter or X. 
on our uh, on the Cape Gunworks homepage. So it's not on the rapid fire radio one yet. Maybe I'll I'll run it over there. But um, so let me let me copy this and I will. Uh, <laughs> I've already got a vote. Someone's twenty five hundred plus. You got to get those numbers up, Larry. Um, so let's dump that poll right in the chat. All right, there it is. I I've never been a big stockpiler. A lot of people are ten thousand rounds plus, you know. Um, but maybe I'm low. Maybe I need to up my game. I don't know. I guess the fact that I own a gun store might jaundice my actually the amount of rounds I need to have on hand because at any given moment you know if it really came to the zombie apocalypse I'm gonna I'm gonna get some ammo and and uh you know I'm gonna help myself to the <laughs> to the pallet let's put it that way but um sorry Mike uh Mike's wishing I didn't mention Gavin Newscomb's name what did I call him once? I think I was doing the Grace Curley show and I called him Gavin or Newsom. Uh, totally accidentally, but I thought it was a good nickname. Um, so, yeah, let's... Anyway, the whole... Si I just got totally down a rabbit hole about a poll, but... Um, so with the prices increasing, are you more apt to buckle down and spend some money now pre-January 1st? Uh, I've noticed we have like had our finger in the dike, if you will, or finger in the dam, if you will, you know, plugging holes, fingers like plugging holes, trying to keep the water from spraying out on the increase of price of ammo in the past few months. We haven't been able to, um, we haven't really succeeded too well in that, but that has been the, uh, you know, I would say we've succeeded. We, you know, we haven't really raised our prices at all other than pass along marginal increases that have hit us. And so that's, you know, what we've been fighting against. And a lot of people have asked me like, hey, um, what is uh, your forecast on the increase of, you know, the availability of ammo, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the, the, the truth of the matter is um, we've been fighting against it. And even though ammo availability has freed up quite a bit, and I'm already starting to see some vendors or some uh, distributors start to tie ammunition to other product that you don't need. So especially five, five, six. So it's like, you know, how, how some of them do this. And I hate that I still do business with these companies because it really hurt us in, in the last go around that we did this. Um, but they'll say, Hey, if you buy 10 FN pistols, you get allocated one case of five, five, six. It's like one case, like that's one customer customers buy the case quantity of ammo from us all the time so i i can't stand that we have to do that from time to time and i'm trying not to do that because that just affects the bottom line it ends up we stock 
inventory that we don't necessarily need. Um, not that I can't move 10 FN pistols, I can. But the principle of it is I need to be able to buy those when I need to buy those and buy ammo when I need to buy ammo. And there's only a few serial offenders uh, at certain distributors that tie highly allocated products to purchase of other stuff. I get it from a business standpoint, but it leaves such a sour taste in my mouth that I don't want to have to do business with them when times are good, when they're trying to dump product. And now it's like, hey, buy as much ammo as you want. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere that didn't make me buy 10 FNs when I really needed ammo. So anyway, long story short, that's just a little bit of the inside baseball of how gun stores have to deal with certain things. But uh, ASD has confirmed that the Las Vegas suspect is dead. Um, that's good. Um, hopefully he uh, didn't, wasn't able to, I, I saw there's multiple casualties. I don't know what that means, but we'll see. Hopefully uh, he's, you know, the amount of casualties were um, it says multiple victims. Uh, hopefully, uh, again, I don't know what the body count was before the suspect was killed, but th that's absolutely frightening. Um, UNLV put out a, uh, tweet that said, um, university police responding to confirmed active shooter in BEH, which is the business school. This is not a test run, hide, fight. And some knucklehead tweeted back, fight who? The guy with the gun? Question mark. Uh, the, and then they updated the, uh, or they, they had another alert, which said, University police continue to respond to an active shooter, continue to shelter in place. So they changed from run, hide, fight to shelter in place. I'm not sure which one was first. Let's see, 2001, um, Yeah, I think it was before that they said shelter in place. Then they said run, hide, fight. Anyone who says fight who, the guy with the gun, question mark, doesn't understand the premise of run, hide, fight. This is a um, not a linear. It doesn't mean run to the guy with the gun and fight him. If you can get away, it means get away. If you can hide because you're in a different area, you're safe, or and you can't get out, then yeah, hide so that they don't see you, or hopefully they walk right by, or or don't. Um, you know, notice you. But if you find yourself next to the guy with the gun, yeah, fight the guy with the gun. Um, get control of the firearm, you know, get the muzzle pointed down or up or somewhere other than at you uh, and fight to the death. I mean, that's really what it is. And you got to fight in a way that your every fiber in your being is trying to stay alive. The 
whole uh, uh, the whole um, what do you call it? The will to live needs to kick into the highest gear known to man. And you need to be the most violent human on earth if you find yourself next to that evil, ill person who is trying to kill people with a gun for no apparent reason. Um, I mean, all bets are off. There's no rules. There's no civility. There's no um, barred hold. It is thumb in the eyeball and ripping for the back of their skull at that point. If I found myself in that position, you you have to fight as if your life depends on it, which it does. And everybody else's does. So that's what that means. It does not mean, you know, pick up a pencil and go run to the sound of gunfire. It means run away from the sound of gunfire if you can. It means hide if you can't get away and, you know, maybe set up a barrier, defend your position uh, from, you know, where you are and secure your location as best as possible. And then the fight is the part that you have to do if you find yourself in close proximity with no other choice of running or hiding. And the, the latter, and none of these are linear. It's not something that starts with run and, you know, goes to hide and then ends up in fight. You, you could be right at fight mode. You could be in hide mode. You could be in run mode. It all depends where you are. That is a circle. It's a continuum. It is not a linear command, run, hide, fight. So, uh, you know, that's, I like that better than the, um, some of the other active shooter training because it's easy to remember. And it's, you know, like Alice training as much as I've tried to educate myself on what that stands for, I can never remember it as a grown man, too many acronyms. It's like, you know, alert, uh, uh, inform. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what they are. I can never remember it. So that's why I, I like run, hide, fight a whole lot better than Alice, which I can't even remember. Um, so yeah, it doesn't make as much sense. And I think the federal government has kind of taken the run, hide, fight approach anyway. So that's one of those things, but yeah, let's pray for these guys. And, uh, it's it's sad that I, and I, it's ironic, incredibly ironic that it's on a day when they're seeking unanimous consent to pass a an assault weapons ban. It's like give me a break. Unbelievable how this happens. Um, <laughs> this guy on Twitter goes, "The GOP NRA cabal send thoughts and prayers that no guns were harmed." It is unbelievable. Uh, there are some good comments, though. End all gun-free zones. Um, that is the uh, sad state of affairs, is that gun-free zones are the s scariest place in the world. Um, they ought to be done away with immediately, and they they should never be allowed. Um, that came out in the hearing that we taught, that I participated in, 
at the mass legislature a couple weeks ago um, where somebody asked the question, actually, I think it was uh, Greg Wilkes from the USCCA. He was speaking on his own behalf, not the official USCCA behalf, but he said, um, why isn't this place a, uh, and I, I apologize if I'm attributing it to somebody, to him in error, but I'm pretty sure it was him. He's like, uh, the state house, why is the state house a gun-free zone? Because they have metal detectors and armed security everywhere. So that makes sense, right? You can protect people by having metal detectors and armed security. So they're guaranteeing as much, you know, a lot better than just a sign on the door that says gun-free zone. Uh, they're guaranteeing your safety by having armed professionals on site and ensuring that people who shouldn't be armed aren't by having metal detectors and making sure that they can't get through. So that's the standard by all gun-free zones should be uh, required. So in other words, if you really must have a gun-free zone, like an airport or a state building or a federal building or something, if you must, then you must guarantee the safety of the people you just disarmed by having a hard target, by having metal detectors, armed professionals on site who are willing to, you know, come to the response of, of people. So anyway, all right, let's see. Uh, we're going to get to the chat here and uh, before the end of the break. And uh, we'll talk uh, Talk on the other side. We'll take more of your questions. Thank you, Bird Runner. He's talking about the Gundies. I should have been nominated. But I think you got to have a certain amount of followers in order to, uh, in order to, to do it. Uh, yes, this is live, Kaka Roach. We are live. Um, <laughs> Patrick, nobody does an ad read like my man. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. How much more is this than a normal year? Some years, there's no price increase, uh, G-Webs. Uh, sometimes you'll see this downward trend. Before, you know, I'd say 2019, we hit an all-time low. So they might say there's going to be an increase year over year. But in reality, when they're they're heavy on product and, you know, sales are bad, like 2019, 2018, terrible sales years for the gun industry. Um, just, you know, a lot of people went out of business. That's when Remington went bankrupt. Colt was threatening bankruptcy. Um, that's when, let's see, three of the largest distributors, the largest and the oldest went out of business between like 2016 and 2019. We had, um, what, AccuSport, which was a huge distributor, huge, went out of business. Ellett Brothers, oldest, one of the oldest distributors went out of business. Lou Horton in Massachusetts went out of business. Uh, Remington went bankrupt. I think Colt had to restructure, ultimately got bought out. Um, who else? There was other companies. Oh, Wyndham Weaponry 
I guess they're more recent, um, went out of business. Uh, who else went out of business? Big, big game, big name players. Um, so yeah, uh, it was bad time for the gun industry. And so anyway, Hey Brooke, how are you? Uh, Oh boy. Um, so Brooke buys large amounts from time to time because she doesn't like to shop. Um, I was taught there are no two amounts of ammo. No, there are two amounts of ammo. Not enough and not enough. That's a good point. I like that, Brooke. That's a good concept. 2,000 rounds per gun, 10,000 per person in the house. I like that. That's that sounds legit. Um, as much as you can afford, uh, and whichever is more, right? Two thousand rounds per gun or ten thousand, whichever is more. Are those numbers per gun, per person, or? Um, me, I have a couple thousand rounds per caliber. Like I have multiple guns that shoot nine millimeter, but I might have two thousand rounds of nine millimeter i have multiple guns that shoot five five six but i'll still only have two thousand rounds i have one gun at home that shoots 300 blackout and i think i have probably five six hundred rounds of that at the house then i have a bunch of miscellaneous shotgun ammo and 22s etc etc but um yeah let's see uh some of us aren't on Twitter because some whiner complained about something I said. Uh-oh. Oh, that's no good. I thought they were back to being, you know, no censor as long as you're not like harming people or something. Thousand per caliber. That's that's a fair amount. If you think about it, like soldiers who go out in battle, go out to war, they're probably carrying six to eight magazines of 30 rounds. So that's less than 300 rounds, probably 250, 300 rounds on their person when they go to engage the enemy. So thousand rounds, a lot of ammo. I know it's not, but it is. If it's just stockpiled for that, it is. If you shoot a lot, it's not. <laughs> you can go through a thousand rounds pretty quick. Um, Yes, we did discuss this, Aaron. Um, the assault weapons ban did not get uh, majority uh, or whatever they call it. The um, They call it, uh, what do they call it when they're calling for that uh, unanimous consent? That's what it was. Um, and maybe after the break, I'm going to play that. Uh, that statement by um, the the guy who defeated that. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure uh, if I can find it. I had it. He's the Wisconsin senator. Um, if I can find it again, I will. I'll play it. But anyway, we'll see how it goes. Um, cool. Let's break now so we have more time
to go into that. If I can find that clip, I will play it. Um, that'd be good. So, all right, we'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I'm glad you're here. We're in the second hour where we're going to really get to a lot of your questions as well as the news of the day. Um, and as promised, I'm going to try to get this queued up for you. Uh, John Barrasso is the senator from Wisconsin that... Uh, blocked that unanimous consent and uh let's see if i can get this to play i've had moderate success on that so far so that's good um all right let's see here yes all right and i'll go big on it people across wyoming responsibly use their Second Amendment rights to keep and to bear arms. Today is about defending those rights against those on the other side of the aisle who wish to take them away from us. Democrats are demanding that the American people give up their liberty. The Democrat legislation takes away a right and it does not provide Americans security. Democrats want Washington to ban rifles and pistols because of the way they look. To do this, they describe semi-automatic rifles as assault rifles. They aren't. Any farmer, rancher, or outdoorsman in Wyoming can tell you. These rifles work the same way as popular shotguns and other rifles used for hunting and for personal protection. Instead of facing these facts, Democrats stick to demonizing rifles and disrespecting gun owners. Democrats' ban on assault weapons is an assault on lawful gun owners. There's a contradiction at the center of the gun control debate. Democrats want to enact new laws on law-abiding citizens. At the same time, they ignore the lawbreakers. Almost every single page of the bill that's in front of us today adds new restrictions and new burdens on people who follow the law. Tells you what you can buy, what you can't buy. It bans more than 205 rifles, shotguns, and pistols by name. Republicans reject these unjustified and unconstitutional restrictions. Democrats' bumper sticker solution to gun ban, to ban guns is not about safety. It's about restricting lawful gun ownership. 
It's about trying to label responsible gun owners as criminals. Democrats are the party of defending, I'm sorry, Democrats are the party of defunding the police and disarming the American people. None of this makes our streets safer. None of this slows the crime wave in America. None of this solves the mental health crisis in our country. The focus should be on mental health, on school safety, and stricter enforcement of current laws. We want Americans to be safe in their communities, their homes, and their schools. The legislation that the majority leader is proposing that's before us today goes way beyond that. I oppose any policies that jeopardize the Second Amendment rights of the people of Wyoming and people across this country. The Second Amendment is freedom's essential safeguard. Without it, there can be no liberty and there can be no security. So, Mr. President, I object. Five minutes. Objection, Mr. Sorry. President, yes, I know that the senator from Alabama wants to speak. Could I ask the senator from Alabama how long he wants to speak for? Ten minutes. If it's well, we want to all speak. People across. All right, so there you have that. Um, the uh, you know that killed it right there, uh, which is good. So yeah, it was Wyoming. I'm sorry, I got my um, my fingers crossed there. My senators crossed if you will brooke have a great class thank you for joining us while you can while you could and uh i appreciate that um getting back to how much ammo to store well let's see where the poll is um let's see i gotta get back to that page uh all right we have 3.6 percent say 500 to a thousand rounds 17.9 percent say a thousand to 2500 and 78 percent of you gun owning second amendment freedom loving people think that you need at least 2500 rounds on hand at any given time so that's uh that's interesting um cool so getting back to the question of, is there a fire law? Yeah, there is. Um, and I think if you have over 10,000 rounds, you have to get a special permit from the fire department who issues it. And unless you live in like the wilderness where a lot of people stockpile a lot of ammo, the probability of your fire department having that form on the top of a stack somewhere as you come in and say, I need to get a permit for to have over 10,000 rounds of ammo in the house. They're probably going to have to look for it or ask someone, you know, what that is, because I promise you, most people don't get that form. Also, um, I've got into an argument with a lot of people about, people who teach in the license to carry class, how the law says you have to keep your ammunition separate and locked from your guns. And I, I have maintained that there is nothing in the law that says that anywhere. And 
I've asked people to show me in the law where it says that, and no one has ever been able to do that. Where they're getting this from is the fire regulations that says something to the effect that ammunition stored at the home needs to be secured separate from the firearms in a locked container or something like that. I can't even remember the language, but the, so it's in the fire code. There's something about separating ammo from the gun and storing it, you know, in some sort of locked container that doesn't have the weight of law in my opinion. And Gun Owners Action League teaches that in their class. And they say we would be remiss for not teaching people what the law is or what the requirement is, even though it's a regulation and a code. Um, so it's akin to breaking a building code violation. So, you know, if you put your window in your house without pulling a permit, that type of thing, or if you, um, Cut off, cut out more than six square feet of drywall <laughs> in your home without pulling a permit. It's kind of the same violation. Now, I don't know if anyone would ever be fined for it or if anyone would ever even know about it. Um, how the heck would they know that you have that much ammo? I guess it would be a retroactive thing if, if a fire started and rounds started to pop off or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, BG, good to see you, man. Um, <laughs> Fred says, a lot more storage space will be needed in my house. You know, it's funny. I have a construction company. And so one of the coolest projects I ever got to work on was a house in Brookline, Mass, which we built. I, I didn't do the building portion of it. I did the finished portion of it. And we built a, it was a garage that got an extra addition to put on a fourth car on a three-car garage. It had, so now it's a four-car garage. But they did it oversized and they put a second floor over it. And in the second floor it had this cool like man cave where there was this huge 100-inch roll-down screen. And my company built the, uh, the Walnut Entertainment Center, if you will, that had the 100 inch screen and housed into the built-in and then when the screen was up there was a 50 inch tv on the back wall and it was all walnut and and it was all controlled by the crestron remote and um so the the uh window shades were also built into the trim of the windows so that on the crestron remote you could hit a button and it would roll down these blackout shades in the in the room. And I mean, when all the shades went down because they were built in, the screen kind of went into the casing of the window and into the uh, built-in cabinet, which had two windows on either side of that hundred inch screen. And then the rest of it was interior space. So there was, I think four windows in the building, in the room. And when you hit the button, those shades went down and there was literally like a felt strip that the shade ran up and down against and it went it pot the shade pocketed in about two inches so not a shred of light came around the shade so when those shades went down you could not see your hand in front of your face it was middle earth dark and 
so that was probably a room that I don't even know what that costs. But the whole point of this project was the owner had bought an Aston Martin, which at the time was a $200,000 car. And he put a $400,000 addition on his house for the $200,000 car. So um, Fred, when I see this comment, seems like I need a lot more space, storage space in my house. That's the what I think about, you know, people who have a gun collection and build a vault. I don't know who would do that in their house um, <laughs> uh, or build a, you know, get some sort of massive gun room or gun safe or whatever in order to store their gun collection. But I find it incredibly ironic to need to put an addition on your house or, you know, renovate the basement to, to store uh, or stockpile your ammo um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a interesting thought, like how much would you spend so that you could have more ammo and more magazines and more guns available at your disposal in the home? Uh, so it's a good, it's a good question. We should all do some soul searching in that way. Um, and Chris brings up a good point, but how many magazines do we have loaded? Cause that's really the like I've thought about that a lot. Like if you have two or three mags loaded, those can be emptied really quick. And in the middle of a gunfight, I don't want to be loading magazines like click, 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 click. <laughs> that would be absolutely terrifying, right? If you're really into the thick of it and you need to load mags, not something I want to do. So I tend to go a little overboard on loading mags and having fully loaded magazines on hand. Um, that I think is, you know, again, if you think about what people go to war with, that 250 to 300 rounds, I think that's a good number for having loaded mags at the house. I hope to God I never, ever need to use that much ammo in a home defense situation. Chances are you're going to use three to five rounds. And it's going to be over. But nowadays with multiple attackers and, you know, concentrated um, attacks on people's homes with multiple people. Yeah, that's uh, something to think about. You might need to readjust and uh, better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Um, let's see. Yeah, Fred, why can't we get a guy like that here? But watch the uh, playback last week of representative Steve Ixaros, who was on the show. And uh, we're lucky to have some good people um, in in this state, believe it or not. Uh, I know from Wisconsin, another great pro-Second Amendment senator is Ron Johnson. Yeah, Wisconsin does a lot of good things. Um, absolutely. The law in Massachusetts says you can own 10,000 rounds per caliber. Hmm. I'd have to. I don't think there's actually a limit. I think you can have 10,000 rounds before you need a permit. And maybe you're right. That might be per caliber. I think you're right. I forgot about that part. Um, yeah, mass law suggests guns and ammo be kept separate. Right. And I, again, in the law, 
it doesn't say anything about it, but in the fire code, it does. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, yeah, goal is referring to that fire code. It is not in mass law. Um, let me see. Uh, ammunition info. Um, let's do this. Since I'm so good at this now. All right. Massachusetts ammunition information, goals, ammunition information page, storage requirements, and more. Massachusetts ammunition info, mail order information. That's interesting because, uh, oh, darn it. That makes sense. Um, so this was, oh, that's defunct too. Click here for storage on info on mass.gov website. All right, let's see what this says. So yeah, here it is, the NFPA, that's a National Fire Code Prevention Administration. NFPA 1 Fire Code 2015 edition, highlighted gray. And this is National Fire Code, by the way. This isn't just Massachusetts. This is National Fire Code. Um, so let's see, here we go. Small arms ammunition primers for private use. 10,000 caps or other small arms primers. No permit or no license if you're under 10,000. If you're over 10,000 caps or other small arms primers, you need a permit. 100,000, uh, oh, that's commercial use. So that's primers. Let's see about loaded ammunition. Black powder is another thing that you really uh, have to um, get permits for. And that's pretty low because black powder is very volatile. So if you have under 16 pounds of smokeless propellants, you don't need a permit. But black powder, private, it's under two pounds. So black powder is much more volatile than smokeless powder. And persons under 18 years of age may not keep or store any amount of black powder. Um, so let's see. Uh, yeah. Not more than two pounds of such propellant shall be stored in a multifamily dwelling or a building of public access. So if you're in an apartment building, you're limited to two pounds. Um, and I'm going to see if there's anything about fully loaded ammunition. Because that just talks about powder and primers. Um, small arms ammunition primers. I don't know if they're referring to that as loaded ammunition or what. But I don't even see anything about loaded ammunition. This is like powder and primers. Hmm. Interesting. So maybe uh, uh, maybe that hasn't been updated in a while. I don't know. But there you have it. I don't see anything. I'm going to go back on my uh, all right, Massachusetts residents that are at least 18 years of age and possess an LTC or an FID 
can store 9,999 primers. A duly licensed resident is no longer required to pay for the powder storage permit to lawfully store more than 999 primers. We're reminded that ammunition, propellants, powders, and primers shall be stored in original containers, and such containers shall be stored in a locked cabinet, closet, or box when not in use. And I can't find where that says that anywhere in the mass general laws. A uh, Massachusetts resident must have a valid firearms license to possess ammunition. And there's a twist. Mass General Law Chapter 140, Section 122, defines the ammunition as cartridges or cartridge cases, primers, igniter, bullets, or propellant powder designed for use in any firearm, rifle, or shotgun. In other words, you must have an FID card to even possess an ammunition component. Uh, but again, it doesn't say loaded ammo must be stored uh, in original containers and such containers shall be stored. Maybe that's where it says it, 140. 122, let's see, um, Mass General Law. And I'll have a lot of crow to eat if this is, um, if this is actually the truth of the matter here. I'm gonna change to this screen so you guys can see that. Let me stop that and start this. Sorry, if you're listening on the radio or on a podcast, this is terrible radio. <laughs> um, all right, so here it is. General Law, Section 122, licenses, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it was 122, Section... Uh, I'm sorry, it was 140, Section 122. I can't find anything about ammunition in this. Um, so I'll have to do a little bit more digging on this, guys. Um, it's not obvious to me. Maybe somebody can find it and drop it in the chat, but there you have it. That's everything Goal has on it and the all that other stuff is yeah so anyway um good luck with that i don't think anyone's ever going to get charged with improper storage of ammunition that's the way i see it um is it hard to register a firearm that you bought from a friend when their father passed away over two years ago i don't believe it has ever been registered no um and maybe we'll do a screen share tutorial on that uh, but the, you know, that's a good video. Maybe I'll do that as a separate FAQ video. Cause I do get this question a lot. Um, but here's the deal. It is a, um, you go to the EFA 10 website, the mass gun transaction portal. And at this point, um, I don't think if your friend is duly licensed and has his license to carry and pin number, it's pretty easy. If he's not, you're just going to register the firearm. You're going to skip who you got it from, leave the seller information blank, just register it, and then, uh, you know, put the buyer information. 
And uh, oh, shoot, I'm sorry, guys, I haven't been paying attention to the phone. Um, so if if you called, I apologize. And uh, call me back. <laughs> 978, call me back. Uh, let's see here. Oh, maybe he's got the ammo storage. No, he's just got the screenshot of that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so this is all CMR, 527 CMR, ammunition storage without a permit. This is the, um, this that's Commonwealth of Mass Regulations. That's the where the building code is. Um, so it's not in the MGL, Mass General Law. That's my whole point to that whole argument is there's nothing in the law that says I have to keep my ammo locked up and secured. Not that it's a bad idea, but anyway. All right. Um, so to finish that thought, Carl, go Google EFA10 or go to Mass Gun Transaction Portal and uh, you can, you can, uh, shoot, you can um, go just register the gun at this point. If your friend still has his LTC, might as well have him put that in and, and give it to you. So, um, yeah. All right. The number is 508-444-2120. If you want to be on the phone, I'll turn up the ring volume so I hear it. Um, if you want to give me a call back and I apologize for missing those calls. Um, any IPSC courses offered at Cape Conworks? No, Noah, we've done like um, some, what we call uh, pistol, um, active pistol or um, fun with a gun type stuff. Uh, we call it pistol league or uh, shooting league where we do not a sanctioned event, but we do our own, uh, our own version, if you will. We set it up and change it around. <clears throat> if I can get an instructor to do that on a regular basis, we'll redo it. Um, right now, our training staff is fully tapped and so am I but maybe if my schedule frees up a little bit I'll I'll reenact that because it was fun we did it three weeks on one week off um, it was a lot of fun so all right the poll results a lot of you are voting um, we have two percent now says 100 to 500 rounds is the proper amount of ammo to have on hand nine percent say 500 to a thousand a thousand to twenty five hundred is twenty percent, and twenty five hundred plus rounds is the proper amount of ammo to have on hand. Says sixty eight point two percent of you freedom loving gun owners. So there you have that. Uh, vote in the poll. Poll. It's over at Twitter or X. Go to X and uh, Cape Gunworks. I'll try to get it over on rapid fire radio as well, but um, hopefully I'll be able to. Uh, <laughs> you never know. Um, and I'm going to forego the gun of the week video, although, yeah, maybe I'll try it because it's not quite a gun. So, yeah, maybe I'll do it. Maybe. Let's, let's try it. All right. In either case, 
I will be back after this. Uh, I appreciate you guys. So um, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunmark. Gary here from Rapid Fire Radio, and it's time for another Gun of the Week, kinda. So, let me explain what I mean by that. This week's Gun of the Week is not quite a gun. Why not? Because it's a frame. <laughs> it's gonna be a gun someday if you do what I'm sure you're planning on doing, but as many of you know, you are allowed to purchase frames in Massachusetts because they aren't considered a firearm in the state of Massachusetts. So we are selling this awesome new pistol by Avidity Arms. It is called the PD-10, and I'm selling it as a frame. But we also have slides available. So as a separate purchase, you can get your own slide and kind of complete the build process that you will do with our guidance. We'll help you do that, and we'll show you how to register it once it's a completed gun. But uh, the neat thing about this gun is it has self-defense in mind with a large variety of hand sizes that it works well with. So I'm going to get into it on a deeper video, but what, I'm, what I'd like to do is show you guys real quick what the completed gun looks like. I have my own personal one, so I'll show you what it looks like all together. All right, I'm going to stop it there just for the sake of prudence and don't want to get booted off by the anti-gun sensors at all of our favorite big tech platforms. So we're going to stop it while it's still a frame, if you know what I mean. But <clears throat> the whole video is live on YouTube if you want to check it out after the show. So uh, anyway, I appreciate you guys checking that out. And if you want to take advantage of that special discount, go over to rapidfireradio.us scroll down to gun of the week and use code gow at checkout and that goes for anyone anywhere i am told the slides are due in soon uh i am completely out of slides but get the frame while you can and uh that'd be cool um so let's get back to your questions uh i apologize for uh having to cut that video short and um Thank you, he ent. That's very nice of you. And uh, G-Web says, I've seen some real nice collections and they are often stored in creative ways. It would be a cool show to talk about the coolest man caves and the best detail to add one. Yeah, once I can fully replenish the coffers, uh, I'm going to finish my man cave at the house and it'll be a cool thing to do a show on, do a tour of and do a little video of. So. Uh, once I get there, uh, <laughs> I'm still a ways off on it, but I'll tease it out anyway. Uh, Yankee Marshall built a gun room safe. That's cool. Um, I'll have to check that one out. Um, I have all the plans in place. I've already got like the outer part of it done. I got the whole interior framed and ready to go. 
Um, I got the plan on what I want it to look like. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> is the construction company hiring? No experience, but watch Bob Vila all the time. Yeah, uh, Patrick, we do require a moderate level of experience. The more, the better for the type of work we do. So uh, I apologize. But <laughs> speaking of Bob Vila, I remember I was working on a job site once. Actually, I was working at Bill Koch's house and we were in the master bedroom area uh, with, you know, before it was the master bedroom, we were renovating it, did a big addition. And um, I was working for a company and we're, I'm running some stuff through the table saw, you know, making all kinds of noise. And one of my coworkers like, shut the saw off, shut the saw off. And I'm like, what? And he goes, Bob Vila's here. I'm like, so what? I'm in the middle of cutting a board and I fire it back up and keep cutting. And sure enough, we shut down the saw after that. And he comes in with his entourage and they did a little walk around and look, see, didn't say a word to us and left. But um, yeah, I have a feeling he was just a pretty face and didn't know how to actually do the work. But uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Hey, Fred, that's a great game plan. Marry a gal who can load your ammo. Uh, <laughs> that's why I got married. I shoot, she loads. That's nice. <laughs> oh boy. Um, will that AK nine that I advertised today survive the new proposed mass ban? Heck no. Crab Rangoon. There's no possible way that that survives. In fact, I have revised my two or three guns that I said would survive the the list on this H4139 down to zero. So there will be no semi-automatic rifle with a detachable magazine available for sale in Massachusetts should this pass. So um, yeah, it's not, not passing. There's no possible way. Um, I don't see it happening. So uh I don't think the Senate will pass that either, though. Um, in fact, there was something I wanted to read you guys because it's important. Um, let's see. Uh, let me see if I can find it. There was a good article written by um, somebody about the Republicans in Massachusetts. Let me see if I can find this. Darn it. I'm sorry, guys. I'm so scattered. There we go. All right. This is a, this was actually in the Boston Globe opinion, how the tiny band of Beacon Hill Republicans make, made an important stand for transparency. It's shocking, isn't it? There are only four Republicans in the Massachusetts State House, uh, Senate, excuse me, and 24 in the House. But suddenly and unexpectedly, this tiny crew of GOP leader, uh, lawmakers found a way to at least try to force Democrats to do something they prefer to avoid, legislate in the open. For Democrats, the ability to operate behind closed doors with as little transparency and accountability as possible has been one of the perks of holding supermajorities in the House and Senate. Up until now, 
They have exercised that option freely with little pushback from Republicans, but now spurred on by the contentious issue of accommodating large numbers of migrants. Beacon Hill, blah, 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 talks about um, the migrant issue, but I think there was some mention of uh, Yeah, so the House and Senate Democrats couldn't resolve differences in the overall bill before formal session. And this is important to note, guys, because this is what's coming up on this gun bill. Uh, there was a November 15th last week, a conference committee of House and Senate lawmakers finally did that. However, since the legislature is now in an informal session, an object from just one lawmaker can stop the measure from advancing. On Thursday, Republicans blocked the bill from moving forward and called for a formal session with debate and roll calls. However, doing that would require lawmakers to return from vacation. And doing that would also require a brand of urgency that is sorely lacking under Democratic leadership. House Speaker Ron Mariano's response to the Republican call for a formal session was to gripe about Republican obstructionism. In a statement, he said, it's incredibly disappointing that the House Republicans are blocking the passage of the supplemental budget. House Democrats are committed to ensuring that this attempt at obstructionism fails to prevent the vital investments being made in this legislation from being approved as soon as possible. But the House mi Minority Leader, Brad Jones, told State House News Service, we would not be here if the Democratic majority, overwhelming Democratic majority, had done their job period and as globe has reported this legislative session is one of the least productive in several decades now you got to remember the legislature in massachusetts gets seven thousand laws introduced at every legislative session crazy lawmakers have failed to act on proposals that are routinely identified as pressing such as housing gun control and oversight and gun control is all because of you guys who really just hammered them on the phones and letters and emails and on social media. Uh, it's part of, of an embarrassing pattern. The Massachusetts legislature has been deemed the least effect, efficient in the country when it comes to measuring the ratios of bills passed to bills introduced. According to at least one national analysis, that problem is fueled by longstanding ego battles between the two executive branches. That in turn is exact, exacerbated by the fierce dislike that House Speaker Ron Mariano and Senate President Karen Spilka are said to have for each other. This is good news for us in Massachusetts, the fact that these two hate each other so much. They are less concerned with transparency and more concerned about the $250 million that was allocated to the supplemental budget bill for the state's shelter system. Um, so anyway, uh, this brings me to one of my, uh, another point I want to make. And uh, this is interesting because this was from the uh, MCA meeting last Wednesday, which covered a lot. Um, Jake McGuigan, uh, from the NSSF, who's done a lot of work for us here in the Mass Legislature, um, met with senators all week, and there seems to be a large focus on four items. Ghost guns, live fire training, Glock switches, and data collection. I mentioned this yesterday after the Grace Curley show. He said that the Senate is absolutely torqued that, at how the House moved through the process, essentially boxing them in to do something. So they're not happy that 
the Senate was completely left out of out of the conversation at the table and then continued down this road even after it blew up in July. And then uh, they basically were told told the House like, hey, stop doing what you're doing. And the House didn't listen. They just went through it. And the House uh, insisted on the Judiciary Committee uh, work on this bill. And the Senate says all gun control goes through the Public Safety Committee. So they've been button heads over this forever. So now that the House has passed H4139, now they've painted the Senate into the corner and they have to do something. So uh, Jake thinks the Senate will roll with a scaled down version sometime in January, February, but he also said he doesn't trust any of them. And they are telling him a scaled down version is coming, but until it drops, who knows? Um, so the live fire training is a double-edged sword. He has major concerns that the expectation of training is going to be directed to gun clubs around the state since there are no state ranges. Let's let's say that one again. There are zero state ranges. So the interesting thing here is if we played our cards smart, all of the gun clubs and commercial ranges like myself could say we don't allow live fire training for pistol class. And it would mean that nobody could get licensed, which would mean that the statehouse phone lines would erupt, which should happen um, anyway, but it would really push people in. If everybody held their ground and said, nope, we're not going to, allow live fire classes as a requirement for the LTC in our range or in any uh, private club or public club. And unless the state wants to pick up the liability for such, which they would never do, right? So say no and the LTC process stalls. Say yes and increase in expenses and liability issues. Would the state indemnify the private clubs with some sort of uh, umbrella policy? We all know the chance of that happening is somewhat of a um, blizzard and H-E double hockey sticks. The live fire piece is going to be one to watch. Senators have been pulling LTC data for, uh, for their districts. Um, and Jake said, beside contacting senators with personalized emails or calls, it's just important. This is a very good piece of advice, one that I haven't given out yet. It is just as important to reach out to your local police chiefs and make sure they are still on board and share the same 2A concerns we do. He said, when contacting senators, thank them for taking a rational approach to this. So they didn't rush right in and pass the House bill, right? Um, they've taken a slower, calculated response. So that is something that we should thank them for. Um, he's going to hop on a call in the next couple of weeks and give us a um, give us a uh, update on how things are going. But uh, the other thing to think about is the those bills in New Jersey and Maryland that have been struck down by, I think it was the third and the fifth circuit. Court of Appeals, uh, or maybe it's the third, I can't remember, just the third, if it was uh, New Jersey and Maryland, can't remember 
remember where Maryland is, but I think New Jersey's third circuit and uh, the live fire requirement was struck down as it should be. So um, yeah, that's good. Uh, peanut, no, we're not talking about Illinois uh, responding to Amy Barrett today. Um, I didn't see anything on that uh, today, breaking news or anything like that. Uh, somebody drop a link in the chat if there was something on that. And what he's referring to is Amy Coney Barrett, who is assigned to the Illinois area, has this, uh, the Illinois assault weapons ban has been appealed to the Supreme Court on an emergency basis. So that would be uh, great if, if um if if we see that the the supreme court take that up cuz that like uh mark smith from the four boxes diner said that one will affect us quicker here in massachusetts than even the stuff going on at the ninth circuit in california the ones that uh benitez has ruled on uh, thank you, Billy. That's very nice of you. Uh, Toby Leary's words ignite like rapid fire. <laughs> I hope my words don't fall to the ground. Uh, I don't think SCOTUS did get a response from Illinois today. Um, let's see. Uh, and Crab Rangoon, I would challenge anyone, drop a link and tell me where this is. He says, I've read somewhere loaded mags must be kept separate from firearms in home safes. False question mark. I say yes, false. I've read the entire chapter 140, section 120 through 133, or whatever it is, that all the areas that deal with firearms. And I have never read anything that says you can't stage a, home, a gun in the home for self defense, because that's ultimately what that would be saying. So I don't think so. Um, felons can have black powder guns as long as they're unloaded and they don't possess primers, caps, powder, balls, um, flints, anything that could potentially make that gun go bang. Uh, but they, the gun itself is unregulated. However, once it's loaded, it's treated just like any other firearm. So, um, yeah, our flap holsters concealed or open carry. Uh, Depends how good that flap is. That's a good, another good question. You're rolling with them today, Peanut. Um, yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah. Is it true that you cannot stage any shotgun loaded for home protection? No. If so, why does everyone say buy a shotgun for home protection? Because that's what Joe Biden said. Buy a shotgun, buy a double barrel shotgun, go out on the balcony, fire two blasts. Um, you don't need 30 rounds. You don't need an AR-15 buy a shotgun. I attended a USCCA home defense seminar and they said, don't do it. Um, interesting. Why would they say don't do it? It's not, it's probably my third favorite option. I like a rifle first, a pistol second and shotgun third. I love the destruction the shotgun uh, will provide, but yeah, the, um, they're utterly destructive, but I would say double lot buck or triple lot buck tends to keep going through many layers of drywall. So in the home, it's it's a little scary, if you will. 
um, bird shop might be all right. Um, so yeah. Uh, Billy, the way I see it, Massachusetts laws are so obtuse. It may be a good idea to lock up gunpowder in case you are targeted. Yeah. Gunpowder doesn't hurt to lock up. It's not like you need to access it anytime soon. Right. Uh, gunpowder isn't like, uh, isn't like a magazine and a loaded gun or anything like that. So I think you could easily, uh, it, it makes sense to lock that up. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Um, <laughs> that's one place you won't be getting one cockroach. <laughs> he wants to see the bedroom. Uh, any predictions on the outcome of HD 4420 in mass? Yeah. As we just spoke a lot about Noah, I think, um, the Senate's going to water it down. It's probably still going to have some bad language in there. And the four things that they're really hot to trot on are ghost guns, live fire training, Glock switches, data collection. I don't know what the big deal with data collection is. It's very reactive. It's not preemptive in any way, shape, or form. Um, mask gun laws are so confusing. I saw a video on YouTube. The goal guy says they give courses on the gun laws to the police. That's right. That was at the hearing. Um, a lot of police go to the um, goal gun laws seminar, which, by the way, we're going to get John Green in here to do that one of these days. Um, I keep threatening to do it. and We never make it happen. So hold my feet to the fire on that. I got to do that. We got to get John Green here. That would be an epic class. We would pack the house. I know we would. Um, so the other class that many regular people don't attend, only law enforcement does, is the Ron Glidden's commentary on mass gun law. He's the guy who wrote a 420-page book on Massachusetts gun laws and how police departments are to implement them into their police work. So he wrote the commentary. And basically, it's the Bible of how to enforce Massachusetts gun laws in Massachusetts. So um, I've been through that class. And that was the one that, um, uh, it's a story for a different day, but uh, they, when it got to the part of guns on school property, he was saying, find a gun on school property, automatically arrest. Everybody in this building knows that. And uh, all right, let's go on to the next slide. And I said, well, wait a minute here. Doesn't it say on your person? So if it's in the trunk or in the back seat or something, it's technically not on your person. And you could have, you know, heard a pin drop. It was like I farted in church. Everybody's head swung my way because 99% of the people in that place were law enforcement. And they're all looking at me like, who let this guy in? And Ron Glidden goes, uh, yep, but we all know what it means. All right, next slide. And he just moved on. Like the law says on your person, but he's saying if you find a gun on school property, arrest the guy no matter what. So if some hunter's dropping his daughter off at school in the morning and he's got his shotgun locked in the trunk and somehow he's discovered because they saw a you know, Hunter Orange cap on the dash or something. And someone, you know, called an anonymous tip that the guy's got a gun or something. Who knows what that scenario is that would get him to have to pop his trunk on school property. But let's just play hypotheticals for a second. 
then the law says it has to be on his person. But he's saying, lock him up, which is crazy. Uh, let's see. I saw the letter stating an unexpected powder shortage is coming in 2024. Do you think that 2024 ammo shortage is coming? 100%. Uh, Nunzi, yes, absolutely. Because um, guess what's needed to make ammo? Powder. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess I don't know. If this is artificial and the industry itself is inflating prices, which I don't believe it is, um, then I think that it it could create a crisis if it is organic and not artificial. It could create a shortage, let's put it that way. But who knows? Um, let's see. The, probably not, uh, Steve. And it's interesting you point this out. He says, it will be interesting to see if they fund any of the law that they end up passing. So the, the House, when they voted on H4139, the Republicans tried to block the vote on it by the unfunded mandate rule. So I think it was like rule 33 or something like that. They have some special rule that you can't pass a law if there's no funding mechanism for it. So they just voted to suspend the rule before voting on it. And this is a multi, multi-million dollar a year, tens and tens of millions a year in new admin fees and new departments of the Mass State Police and uh, administration of it. It's huge money. And yeah, there's nothing earmarked for it. Uh, no problem. Um, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you, Blockhead. Um, you heard uh, us say that Mass has 600,000 gun owners, means only 3% gold members. What a strong lobby we could have. Absolutely. It's, um, and you know what? That's true on the national level. The largest gun advocacy group in the country is the NRA, right? And at their zenith, they had 6 million members. There were probably at the time 80 million gun owners, and they had 6 million members. There's never been a, I don't know what it is. Like, it's it's kind of sad if you think about it, but gun owners don't put their money where their mouth is and join groups that are trying to ensure that our rights don't go away. And they're the ones that are doing all the work of litigating unconstitutional law. So, um, it's... It's sad, but it's the way it is. So what are you going to do? I, I would agree with you. Let's keep pressuring our fellow gun owners like to donate or give some money or join at least FPC, which is 25 bucks a year. And they are doing the Lord's work when it comes to gun, uh, you know, gun rights litigation. Um, they're doing it all across the country. Then we have GOA, we have uh, Second Amendment organization, then there's uh, 
NAGA, National Association for Gun Rights, NAGR, excuse me. And uh, so, plus your state organizations, like they're the ones actually doing the the hard yeoman's work of the state, like COM2A, Goal in here in Massachusetts. Then we have uh, the one in Connecticut. Uh, what is it? Uh, I should know this. We talked to uh, Holly, who's the director of the one in Connecticut. It's uh, like, I forget what it's called and I apologize. Um, and then we have uh, NYSERPA, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association is the one that took the Bruin case all the way to the Supreme Court. So you got to be a member of your local organization at the very least, at the minimum, and then throw some money at a national organization or just support them on like Amazon smiles by whatever you buy and on that, or, uh, buy like, you know, blackout coffees, um, FPC blend, which donates the profits and proceeds of that to, to FPC. So there's other ways you can contribute without having to shell out the dough. Um, although I think you should, I look as buff as, <laughs> yeah, get me a tryout. That's right. Uh, I could, I could, Hey, they didn't call me brick hands for nothing in high school. Uh, I had butter fingers as wide receiver in my 10th, my sophomore year in high school. It's my, my football career started and ended in sophomore year. Um, staging a loaded shotgun in the bedroom for home defense under our crazy safe storage laws has got to be the hardest thing I could imagine. All right. So here's how you do it. Same as any long gun. Uh, if you get a vault tech safe that has biometric fingerprint you know or the bluetooth capacity um you can stage long guns and there's magnets that hold it vertical in the safe um and so you can quickly access your long gun safe um hornady makes an rfid safe long gun safe and hornady also makes a uh shotgun safe that stores it bolts to the wall hangs in a saddle and then kind of comes down and and locks up around the action of the gun so you can't access the trigger the safety the grip or any of that so um and that also has an rfid device so you can swipe you know an rfid card or a wristband or a key fob or something and unlock it now you can get out the shotgun quickly that all will suffice and make it um so so that you don't have a uh violation of safe storage rules in this state that's how you do it i would say the best way is probably get the vault tech safe or the uh hornady rapid safe i like biometrics amazon smiles no longer exists oh son of a gun see there's something though you can do something with amazon there's all kinds of affiliate links and stuff and uh 
I'm pretty sure. I think a lot of gun owners end up leaving the state instead of fighting the tyrant's laws. We absolutely need to join an organization and fight for our rights. That's what I'm saying. If all the patriots at Concord and Lexington moved to New Hampshire or Connecticut so they didn't have to fight the Redcoats, what would have happened? We wouldn't have a country, number one. Number two, we wouldn't have a concentrated battle where the fight started, which is really important. So there's no reason to flee stay and fight and that way you can actually make a difference wherever you are guess what would have happened had all the patriots who were here in massachusetts that lived in concord and lexington instead of surrendering instead of staying and fighting they could have surrendered their firearms or they could have under the cover of darkness packed up and left, gone to Connecticut, go to Rhode Island, go to New Hampshire, go to Maine, go to all the free states, right? And guess what's eventually going to happen once Massachusetts falls to the Redcoats? They're going to come to Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New York. They're going to come. They're not going to sit there and allow you to be a free person in another state. Look what's happening on the national level right now. They're not going to sit idly by. So if all the answer to every time somebody introduces legislation is move, eventually there's going to be nowhere to move to. We can't all fit in Texas. Well, we could, but we're not going to. Uh, and the point is, you got to fight where the fight is. I could move into the woods of Vermont and maybe live out the rest of my life and not have to deal with this, although they have to deal with stuff now, which stinks. Um, they have to... They're just kicking the can to the next generation. So there you go. Yeah, we get 458 SOCOM from time to time. I can special order it for you, though, so just give us a call and we'll take care of that. Um, I got a pre-ban AR. I store it with a manual lock around the magwell. Is that legal and good enough here in communist Massachusetts? Yes, that works. Um, you can do that. So just uh, what you do is um, you can drop a lock through the mag or put a mag lock in it or whatever. Um, as long as it's locked so that somebody who's not authorized to use that firearm can't use it. Has nothing to do with theft, believe it or not. Uh, it's more about unauthorized access. Because the Biden admin cannot make new gun laws because of the NYSERPA v. Bruin decision are doing everything they can by other means. Yes, it's always going to be death by a thousand cuts. Um, you didn't hear the part about run, hide, fight earlier? Darn it. Uh, that was in response to that uh, mass shooting out in... Um, at the University of Las Vegas, they uh, they basically were sent out a run, hide, fight alert. And um, all right, update on the poll. 3% now say 100 to 500 rounds are adequate. 12% say 500 to 1,000. 18% say 1,000 to 2,500. 
and 2,500 or more rounds is the proper amount of ammo to have on hand is 66.2%. So there you have it. Um, that's, that's where we're at with that. So go vote in the poll at Cape Gunworks on X. And, um, I'm trying to, uh, find an update on the Las Vegas shooting. Um, let me see if, uh, you'd think that UNLV would be trending. Uh, this may be relevant in upcoming political debates. Nevada prohibits concealed firearms permittees from carrying a concealed firearm while on the premises of a public building located on the property of a public school, a child care facility, or the property of the Nevada system of higher education without specific written permission. And that's right from Giffords.org. So that is exactly relevant. Um, and crazy uh you know it's it's really sad um but anyway let's see uh so somebody posted people want to defund the police they are the first responders to school shooters people want to ban guns and i would actually take exception with that the people on scene are the first responders to the school shooters People want to ban guns. Guns killed this active shooter. Mental health causes people to kill. A law-abiding person didn't murder the UNLV students. A mentally ill monster did. Does anyone know uh, what the what the count is? It uh, so tragic, um, but I, I don't know what the final outcome of it was um it's a terrible situation so yes i will be praying for any of the victims there and i'm glad that the shooter uh got ventilated but i bet you 20 bucks like all mass shootings he's probably on some psychotropic medication uh we would be drinking blackout tea instead of coffee <laughs> true true uh thank you bg um i need to go out and buy more ammo <laughs> go get a mic uh 100 billion plus in arms to ukrainian civilians but peasants at home aren't allowed to defend themselves great point uh amendment ground in miss uh, vermont is getting much worse regarding gun rights here now too i know um i agree bg uh vermont makes me sad because i wanted to bail to vermont or new hampshire when i got more money now south how about stay and fight darts stay and fight that's what we need we need gun owners let's put it this way in 1998 there was a million and a half gun owners in massachusetts now there's 600,000 half more than half, almost a third of what we once had in Massachusetts. And that, I think, is the tragedy of it all, is that 
we're a third as strong as we were in 98 when gun control was passed. And guess what? People fled. And the people who are fleeing are the ones we need to stay and fight. And I get it. I'm not, I'm not at all happy with the state of affairs here. But on the other hand, I think it's important to stay and fight. This is where the fight is, right? So if we don't stay now and fight, then when will we? And if we don't defeat evil when it shows its ugly head in our area, then we've proven that we can't be counted on. This is why 3% is the number. The American Revolution, the French Revolution, the all the other uh, rebellions that led to countries being formed, it was 3% that stand up to the tyrant. So that's, that's a statistic that is showing itself to be true even to today. And I'm not saying everyone who fled the state is not someone who could be counted on. I understand there's other reasons for wanting to leave this state besides the gun laws. But stay and fight. Be a patriot. Be, stand up and be counted. And because otherwise you're just delaying the inevitable. It's going to come to you. I promise. And if you've already shown no resolve to stay and fight, then we get what we deserve. So anyway. All right, guys. God bless. I appreciate everybody. And uh, next week is hit or miss because I will be in Colorado. If I can do it from there, I will. Um, but I don't know. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But otherwise, um, God bless. And I'll see you soon. And stay and fight. I'm Toby Leary.